Welcome into the Pursuit of Manliness podcast, where we are vigorously equipping men to pursue biblical manliness. My name is Jarrett Samuels. I'm the host of the podcast. Men, as always, I want to start by thanking you for taking time and stopping by and checking out the show. If this is your first time coming across the Pursuit of Manliness, maybe someone recommended the show or shared it on their social media feed, I want to say thank you for being here. On Fridays, we do what I call an Out in the Garage podcast. This is where I'm typically, not today, but typically out in my garage walking through a portion of Scripture. Uh, We have three podcasts with the Pursuit of Manliness on Mondays. There are interviews, someone who's written a book, doing a ministry, someone that we find interesting, have a conversation with them. On um, Wednesdays, we do a podcast called A Quiet Life, and that's focused around 1 Thessalonians 4, 11, and 12, Aspire to Live a Quiet Life, Mind Your Own Affairs, Work With Your Hands, Be Dependent Upon Nobody. On Fridays, we're out in the garage, we're walking through a chunk of Scripture, typically a chapter uh, moving left to right right now, uh, wrapped up, I don't know, a few weeks ago, uh, the book of Genesis. We did that for a number of weeks. Uh, So just about every Friday... There is a Out in the Garage uh, podcast, and um, again, we're looking at Scripture. We're seeing what God is doing in the lives of real people who lived in a real space and time, and then looking at our own life and asking, okay, what do I do with that? I've shared on a number of occasions when I felt like the Lord was really stirring in me, waking me up, if you will, uh, moving the needle from being a Christian guy to a man of God, one of the first things that happened was just going back to the Bible, Genesis 1, looking at people in Scripture. And I didn't do a deep theological dive of, you know, was it a 24-hour day? Is it, you know, I, I didn't get into a deep theological dive. I looked at just reading the Scripture, looking at the people, and considering my own life, my own circumstances, the same God that was doing all those things in Genesis and from Genesis to Revelation— is the same God who's who's in charge now. He's the owner of the cosmos. There's not a square inch of the universe that he doesn't look at and say, that is absolutely mine, and including me, including you. And the Bible's pretty clear that to have a right relationship with him, we need to surrender to Jesus. We need to understand we are sinners. We need forgiveness of our sins. We need to go into the waters of baptism, Romans 6, 4. If we were therefore buried with Christ in his baptism, we will too be raised to walk in a new life, Romans 8, 11. If the same Spirit, the Holy Spirit that, that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, if that Spirit dwells inside of you, he too will give life to your mortal body. An eternal life for one that's fading, that's a great exchange. I'm in on that. But let's be honest. Having this conversation, saying we're in on it, reading all those scriptures, all those things, easier said than done because we, we, we have to live our life. We are narrow road people. We are Matthew 7, narrow road people. Uh, but we know, as Jesus said with the narrow road, it's not always easy. It can be hard, and very few people find it. And in the, the times that we're living, 2022, 2023, and beyond, depending on when you're, you're coming across this, you know, there, there are some challenges, especially for, for people of faith. And depending on where you live in the world, there's greater challenges. You know, we have some, some men and tribe who live in other parts of the world, and to hear their perspective on faith, Jesus, church, whatever, quite different than my current experience right now where I live. 
Not saying it, the, not saying that my experience won't change or theirs won't change. I'm just saying it's quite different. So it's very fascinating to hear people who live in different parts of the world to see their perspective on faith, what they've been told, what they've been taught, the things that they're going through. Very, very interesting. And it's a good reminder that uh, your story is not the same as my story, but we all get to be a part of God's story. And that's the most important one of all of them. And in God's story, Exodus chapter 2, we see a guy named Moses. Well, he's not a guy. He's a baby being born right here. There's a man of the house of Levi. He went and took as his wife a Levite woman. It says, keep it in the tribe. The woman conceived, and she bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him in three months. Has there ever been a woman of her right mind who didn't look at her kid and thought, that is the, that is the best kid I've ever seen in my life? You ever seen women when they share uh, pictures of a baby? <laughs> Ooh, and ah, and ah. I'm going to be honest, they all pretty much look the same. There's been three that have been born on this planet that I looked at and thought, now that kid is exceptional, and they all live in my house. The rest of them, yeah, that's a kid. Someone recently showed me, uh, pulled up their phone and said, hey, this is my new whatever, and I said, okay. Oh, wait, here's another picture. This is when they were in the hospital. Okay, congratulations. Um, Of course the mom thought he was a fine child. They're all a fine child. No, I think, remember, she... They're living in a time where the decree was all the baby boys were to be killed. Well, she has a baby boy. And when she could hide him no longer, she took him in, in a basket made of bulrushes, uh, daubed it with uh, bitumen and pitch, and she put the child in it and placed it, placed the baby, among the reeds in the basket, among the reeds by the river bank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. I, I, can't, I cannot fathom this. I know in our day and age there are people who give up children for adoption. I, I, I absolutely understand that. And let me say this. I appreciate that. I appreciate you giving them up for adoption. And if you have a child and you say, I just can't take care of this, this child anymore. It's overwhelming. Or you know someone that does or whatever. There are places, I believe, like fire departments, police stations and such, that you can drop the kid off. Uh, to my understanding, no questions asked. I want to say thank you for doing that. Thank you for giving that kid a a, a chance at life. I have some good, good people uh, in our lives who who have adopted, and and I look at their kids and think, you you potentially have saved their life. I, I know people have done a great job adopting children and raising children and pointing them towards Jesus. And in many ways, they, they have saved their life. We need more people who are, who are willing to do this and more people who are willing to say, I'm in over my head, I, I need help. Well, in this situation, she's not in over her head, theoretically speaking, as far as being a, a mother you know, is concerned, because she has children. She can do this. The problem is there's a decree that she's to kill every baby boy. That, that, so she has a boy. He's supposed to die. She has raised him as long as she can raise him, and she places him in a basket and puts him in the Nile River. I, I can't even fathom that. I didn't even like my kids playing in those play places in the middle of the mall. Some kid run by, smoked my kid the first time. I thought, I'm about to take him out. Don't mess with my kid. <laughs> I can't imagine taking the most vulnerable thing you own, placing him in a basket, setting him in the Nile River, and saying, well, I'm going to wait to see what happens. Well, this, his uh, sister stands at a distance to find out, and lo and behold, the daughter of Pharaoh came down the river. She's got some maidservants with her, and she sees this, this basket, and they take it. She opened it, and she saw the child. Behold, the baby is crying. She took pity on him. 
Not a big deal, right? Everyone takes pity on babies crying. Uh, not me. I'm, I'm, I, I, I said this before, years, a few years back, I thought, you know, I feel bad. I, don't, I, I feel bad. I didn't enjoy when my kids were babies. I, I didn't. They cried. I didn't know what they wanted. They're middle of the night. You know, it's just, it was just, it's just hard. I'm thankful for them. Thankful for a wife. You know, I'm, I, it was just a hard season. I thought, you know what? Maybe you missed it. Maybe you were just so selfish and so self-consumed in that season. Now you're a little bit older. And I, I picked up a friend and his wife and their baby from an airport. And we spent a couple of days with them at a, like a little gathering that we were part of. I swear this kid cried for two days straight. And I said, nope, don't miss it. Don't miss not being able to have a conversation because this kid's screaming at the top of their lungs and you don't know what is going on. Why did this woman have pity on him? She, she was conditioned, remember, to hate Hebrews, to hate Hebrew boys especially. They would have been perceived as invaluable. Why did she have pity on him? Because God stirred in her heart to have pity on him. God planned for this moment of deliverance for Moses. If there was one baby that Pharaoh would have focused in on to make sure he was killed and rid himself of, it would have been Moses, if you know the story. Here he is just killing all these baby boys. He's not having people kill these baby boys. And there's one boy that he would have said, we'll make sure I take care of that one. It would have been Moses. Nope. God moved in her heart in this incredible, remarkable way to have compassion on this baby. And ultimately, she becomes in a sense, a deliverer for him. She brings him up out of the water. Well, she doesn't, but she has people bring him up out of the water, sees the kid, has compassion on him, says, hey, let's get a nurse for this, this kid. Well, how about that? God provided Moses' mother to be able to nurse him. And what does she do? I believe she teaches him about the living God. Because what we're going to see through the life of Moses, and I'm not going to read all this. You guys that have been part of this out in the garage know this. There's a lot in here, okay? There's a lot in uh, Exodus 2. But what we see here is that Moses' mother must have poured in him to the point to point him towards God because even as he is raised in Pharaoh's home, and you can do some study on who Pharaoh's daughter we believe she was and what type of education he would have access to and the culture that he was raised in. I, I think it's really fascinating, really fascinating because here's a guy that's raised almost like he's one of the Royals. Okay. That's the closest thing I can think of the people in the UK, the Royal family. Do they have last names? I don't know. King Charles, whatever his name is. I don't know if they have last names or not, but anyhow, that particular family, like their world is just so different than ours. Like I don't even, it's just so different. And here's Moses being raised in a world that's so different than, than everyone else. Now, remember his people are slaves. He's essentially raised by what would be perceived as royalty, supreme authority of the land, his education, his food, everything. But I also believe the foundation that his mother and father instilled in him, even at the earliest of ages, never left him. I don't think it ever left him. Because he knows that there's an injustice being served. He knows that what's going on should not be what's going on. 
you have the moment where he goes out and the Egyptian is is beating the Israelite, and so he kills the Egyptian. The next day, two Israelites are fighting with each other. He tries to intervene. They're like, hey, you're going to kill me too, right? And so it gets to the point where Pharaoh wants to kill Moses. It's not, it's not a good situation. You think where you live right now is not a good situation. You think our culture or the temperature of the, the day or you know, people's view on, on, on everything from marriage, sexuality, sexuality um, the way that we educate our children or lack thereof, the way that we perceive money, the way I mean, pick an angle. Pick a topic, and you can see that it has been clearly perverted, clearly manipulated. We, in many ways, have tried to rewrite the rules of the universe to the point that we think we can change the temperature and we can do all the, we, we, we think we know. And don't you dare tell someone that they don't know. This is, this is what. Moses is living in it, it's I mean it's more than okay to kill babies it's more than okay to um, oppress these people it's more than okay I mean if you get into the Egyptian culture and, and and their perceptions of others and their superiority complex and all these things I mean it it is not a good time to be an Israelite and then Moses leaves all that kills the Egyptian buries him in the sand it's found that you know Pharaoh finds out about this. He wants to kill Moses. So Moses goes on the run. I want to read this. Exodus chapter 2, verse 23. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. I'm a believer that God hears your prayers no matter what. Now, whether he responds to them or not, I no, I I I that's that's up to him, right? Because and I don't have time to get get into all this, but because if he doesn't, then you would have to do something to get yourself right before. I think I think God does. He is aware of our prayers, receiving them, hearing them. Different. We can get into that a different time. But their cry came up to God. God heard their groaning, and God remembered His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and Jacob. Were these God-fearing people? Not necessarily. Because when God brings them out of slavery, out of Egypt, he basically has to teach them how to be his people. They have spent centuries now living in the Egyptian culture. Many gods, false gods, false worship, the whole thing. But they're crying out. Some, I believe, would have cried out to the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I, I, I think that. And I think there's some that are just crying out. If there's a God, if you can hear me, save us from this misery. People do this all the time. Remember when Noah was born, his dad said, perhaps he's the one that's going to save us from all of our toil. And we're just getting started. Verse 25, and God saw the people of Israel and God knew. I love that. God knew. He saw the people of Israel and he knew. He remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He didn't turn his attention now towards Israel because, you know, they are just really good people. 
they're hard workers and they deserve a break. No, he turned his face towards them because of his covenant with them. I mean, that's that's what he does. He gives us our, he gives us love. He gives us attention. He gives us a response because because of the same basis, a covenant relationship we have with him through Jesus. I think there's an important word here, and, and I want to land with this word and begin to wrap up. And the word is remembered. Now, maybe you've heard me say this before. Maybe you, you haven't. doesn't matter. I believe our God is a God of remember. Remember, remember. This is what he's going to tell the Israelites decades later. Remember, remember, remember. Remember who brought you out of Egypt. Remember who fed you in the wilderness. Remember who made sure your shoes didn't wear out. Remember the one who... He's going to be a God of remember. Satan uses reminder. Reminder that you did that when you were in seventh grade. What? Where did that come from? Reminder. You're upset at that situation or that person. Reminder. That person voted that way. Reminder. That person posted on social media. Reminder. The words are so similar yet so drastically different. Our God is a God of remembrance. Remember, remember. This is why it's sad when you see people that get to the end of their lives and they begin to lose their memory. Our memory is such a valuable gift. The ability to have these memories that take us to a place where we remember. I see reminder as, oh yeah, oh yeah. Remember is closer to, that's right. That's right. God says, remember my promises. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Remember to walk in all my ways. Like God is constantly telling us to remember. And here it says, God heard their groaning and God remembered. What did he remember? Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Those guys were far from perfect. I mean, if you go back to that, if you go back to the out in the garage and we look at that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hard on Jacob, man. He's he's not a great dad any, by any means. I mean, Abraham tried to sacrifice. Well, he he was told to sacrifice Isaac, you know, and Isaac, what's that meme Babylonian B put like Isaac suddenly, you know, declines all camping trips with his father. Of course. Yeah. Right. You don't get a lot from Isaac. He does have a favorite son, terrible move, which his son who wasn't the favorite inherits because then he has favorite children, favorite wives. I mean, it's just a disaster, but God remembered his faithfulness, his promise that never changes. Remember, remember, I want to leave you with that. What is it about God that you need to remember? You see, for me going back to Genesis back then, and it's still doing it today and looking at Exodus here, it causes me to remember. It causes me to remember things about God that I can easily forget throughout the day. That can easily slip my mind throughout the weeks. That become distant memories through months and years of just doing life and day in and day out and the monotony of things. I need to ask God, God, help me remember because you specialize in remembrance. You are a God who calls us to remember and that, that's what I need to do. God, I don't want you to forget me. And I don't want to forget about you. Amen? So guys, I'm going to wrap it up there. If you would, 
make sure you read when you get a chance. Exodus chapter 2, I focused in on just a handful of verses there. There, there, There's more. We'll get to the burning bush uh, next time. But I appreciate you guys listening to this. If you would, make sure you click subscribe. Always appreciate when you do that. But maybe even more importantly, man, share this with someone that needs to to hear it. Amen. I'll talk to you all in a little bit. Once again, men, thank you for listening to the Pursuit of Manliness podcast. As you may have noticed, this was an audio-only podcast. We'll be doing that for Out in the Garage for the next couple of weeks. I want to encourage you, make sure you click subscribe, share the show with your friends. If you would, I know it's another step or two, go to iTunes, leave a five-star review. I think it's important for other people to see what you think about the show, but I really appreciate getting your feedback as well, man. Thanks for listening, and let's keep pursuing biblical manliness.